Amen. Let me dismiss our school-aged kids to the back. And as they're heading that way, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one, or on a device, um, to uh, open them, turn to them, open them, however you do it, to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to finish Philippians 2, the chapter today, <clears throat> talking about gospel friendships. I was thinking, I don't know if you do this when you sing songs like that one, that you, that you remember these like snapshots of, uh, of, of how God interacts with his people. How in Isaiah, when he came into the temple, how he really became undone, convicted of his sins, crying out for a coal from the fire to touch his lips, that he might be cleansed. But I, I like to think mostly about Jesus because we see who God is through the person of Jesus. And you remember the time when uh, they, uh, him and the disciples were in the boat and a storm came and it was scary enough to make very seasoned fishermen very afraid that they were going to die. It must have been some type of hurricane that came on them and Jesus asleep in the bottom. They go and wake him up and then you remember he comes and he speaks to the storm. And the reaction of the disciples afterwards, these are the people who had been following him. And they said, who is this man? Because in his presence, the weird dichotomy of being in the presence of God, because you're convicted of sin, you're in awe of his power, yet you're comforted. Isn't that weird thing about the presence of God? Let me read the passage to you, and then we'll pray. <clears throat> um, Philippians chapter 2, I'm in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how he's a son with a father. <clears throat> he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly after I myself will come too. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger minister to my need, for he's been longing for you all since he, <clears throat> and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me this is god's word let's pray together god thank you for today i just pray that you would speak to us through your word or would you amplify scripture to us today that we would hear you we would understand what you're doing in and through us. That we'd be encouraged by your truth today. It's in Jesus' Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. 
I was tempted to move on just to chapter 3 and put this uh, chapter to bed. We've spent a lot of time in Philippians chapter 2, so great. But as I just prayed and studied over the past really two weeks, I just couldn't leave this passage left alone. And we're just going to see how it'll go. And I think mostly this is the recipe of Christian friendship, the power of Christian friendship. It's funny to me that Paul so often mentions people in his letters. 93 times he mentions some sort of apostolic partner in ministry with him. 93 of them. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he felt worthy enough that they should be included in these letters and to us included in these holy scriptures. 29 people he mentions in the church at Rome alone. He also warns us of some people to stay away from. We'll leave those for uh, another sermon. But the Apostle Paul, who is perhaps the greatest missionary and church planter the world has ever seen, certainly the greatest in the Scripture itself, who filled with the Holy Spirit, healed diseases, survived so many of the, of the things that came at him, who even raised a man from the dead. You remember Eutychus? Did we ever talk about that in Acts 20? Paul was preaching so long, there was a guy named Eutychus who was in the top story, and he fell backwards because he was tired or Paul was boring or a little bit of both and, and died. And, I mean, what a, way, what, a, what a Debbie Downer on the church service, right? A guy fell asleep and died. And so Paul runs outside and prays over him and, like, brings him back inside and says he's not dead anymore. And uh, I, guess he, I guess Eutychus is like, what did I miss? Did I miss? What's, what's part two? It says Paul just keeps on preaching. Um, so, you know, he had to get that last, last point done. I think that's funny that this, this Paul the Apostle could raise people from the dead, but he still needed friends to bring him food, to care for him in prison. I thought about this. Sometimes God does the miraculous. I mean, literally, incredibly supernatural as he fed Elijah with the raven. You remember that in the Old Testament. Elijah didn't have any food, so a, a raven brings him a happy meal every day. Sometimes God sends a raven, but more often he sends a person. Sometimes God miraculously lifts the, 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 the depression off of you. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he miraculously sends money down a stream. I've told you that story maybe before. But more often than not, he puts that burden on a person to meet that need. Friends, we need each other. I don't want to over-spiritualize it. We need each other's help. We need each other's resources. We need each other's encouragement. There is so much power to be found in true friendship. And this is hard for us to see in this very individualistic culture that we live in where, where we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, as the saying goes, as we pull in our garages, covered garages, and shut the door and very little interaction with the neighbors. Or if we do, when's the last time you really just shared a desperate burden on your heart that you really need a friend. So I don't want us to dismiss this this morning. 
I don't want us to boast about being able to do it all our own, that I don't need anyone attitude. I've had this conversation three times this month of people that say, I'm good with Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need the local body. And that might be partially true, that you don't need the gathered bride of Christ, the church, to be part of God's family. But it's also a very immature and uninformed statement. The person who says that is not serving the Lord. The person who says that is not pushing back the kingdom of darkness. The person who says that is not living as a catalyst to bring the reign and rule of Jesus into this present darkness. No way. Paul's apostolic ministry was rooted in deep friendships. Ministry without friendships is unsustainable and it's undesirable. The star player who puts the team on his back or her back and carries him to victory is a hero. But servants of God are never asked to put the kingdom of Christ on our back. Instead, the gospel goes forward and bears fruit in all the earth through faithful men and women working in networks of close friendship. So a few lessons we learn how to be a gospel friend from this passage. How gospel friendship sustains the mission over the long haul. And of course, we've got three people here. And if you include the audience, we really have four. We've got Paul, that's understandable. He mentions in this passage, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and he's talking to the Philippians. So a few lessons. First, that we would love loyally. That we would love loyally. Paul says, this is so true of Paul. He was such a good friend to them. He says in Romans 9 that if he could go to hell on behalf of the people that he was trying to reach so that they would go to heaven, he would gladly do it. What a friend. Any of us signing up for that, praying that God might answer that? But here he mentions Timothy, and there's so much we could say about Timothy. There's several epistles written to Timothy uh, from Paul, and you really hear kind of this, this father's heart for Paul here, uh, from Paul to Timothy. But, but, but here is heart, <clears throat> excuse me, even for the Philippians. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered by the news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy was a unique guy, and he would pastor and help Paul pastor several of the churches, eventually end up in Ephesus pastoring that church. First Timothy was written by Paul to Timothy as like a uh, primer for new young pastors, encouraging him. Second Timothy was written to a very discouraged Timothy who seemed like he was ready to throw in the towel. But look at Timothy, this idea of of a loyal friend that they would love loyally. That Timothy had a genuine concern for their welfare. He had a real heart for people. He had a real love for them. Paul compares them to many others who are just trying to get famous in the church. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth 
how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send them just as soon as I see how it will go with me. In other words, Paul saying, I think he could benefit you more than me. So as soon as I can see how well it's going to go with me, if I'm going to make it through this season, I hope he will come and be this great benefit of loyal love to you. I read a leadership article this week about the three types of friends that we have in a church, in a local church. Three basic types of people we interact with. And I thought it was interesting. And, and so I went on a deep dive looking for these types of friends in Paul's life. As he's writing this, he mentions one here of Timothy. And the three types are the confidant, the colleague, and the comrade. The confidant, these people are for you. They're there for you for the long haul. Then there's the colleague. These are people who, they're friends with us, but they're for the vision. They're gonna, we're working together to accomplish the vision. And then finally, the comrades. These are the people who are in it for the fight. The colleagues, they're committed They're committed to the vision, not to you. They're committed to the cause that you're working towards. This is the colleague. For this, this was Demas for Paul. If you remember 2 Timothy uh, 4.9, it says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the Las Vegas of the day. He deserted Paul because it got too hard. He was there for the vision in the beginning, for the cause of Christ. Let's push back the kingdom of darkness together. Let's see churches planted. Let's see the name of Jesus known and He served Paul and served with Paul for a season. And this is what the colleagues do. They're not going to be with you forever. They're your friend right now because you're pursuing the same vision together. As long as you are what they're are in, or as long as you are for what they're for, they're going to walk with you and work with you and labor with you, but never think that they're actually for you. Does that make sense? That, they're just for the vision. They're for what you're for, for a season, maybe until it gets hard or until it gets difficult or until the vision changes. It's important to know this because if they meet someone else who's going to further their agenda at lesser cost, that's what they're going to go and pursue. They're the colleagues, and that's fine. They've, a lot of these people in my life and friendships in my life are colleagues, and I know that. They We're working together for a season to pursue a vision together. Many of us in this room, maybe we're more than that, but many of us are colleagues. You're here because of the vision, because you want to see a spirit-led family on mission making disciples. As a matter of fact, many of you don't even know me that well, other than the stories I share up here, the little life that we might do together or rub elbows serving together. And that's fine. I don't want you to think it's a negative thing, but it's important to to, to know people in these frameworks, colleagues. And then there's the comrades. These people are not for you, and they're not even necessarily for the vision that you're pursuing. They're simply against the same thing that you're against. Comrades make strange friends. These are the guys that are just always a little on edge. You know what I'm saying? Do you have that friend in high school where you got bumped 
in the in walking through the hallways he was ready to throw down you ever, you ever have that friend they're good friends to have when they when they love you they're good friends to have the problem in the church and they work great because man they can get things done and we can push the kingdom of darkness back together they are ready to fight the problem comes when they find out that you're not really against the same things they're against in the same way that they're against them and if you're not careful these people will actually become (laughs) you will be the object of their wrath if you're not careful i think this was john mark for paul mark who wrote the scripture it says in the book of acts that barnabas wanted to take uh mark with him john mark but Paul thought it best not to take them because he had deserted them also in Pamphylia. He hadn't gone with them to do the work. And there rose, it says in Scripture, a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And we could talk plenty about the context of this relationship with Paul, the passage, the timing. But Paul never stayed in one place for too long. And he decided that... He and Barnabas should return and visit some of those churches, those Gentile churches he planted in the cities that he had been preaching the gospel there. And it was in that setting as they're preparing to leave that they discovered a really difference of opinion. The disagreement was most likely about the Gentiles. I think Mark wanted to go reach the Jews when Paul was committed to go plant this work amongst the Gentiles. And therein lies this sharp disagreement. Not necessarily wrong, just something we should note as it plays out in our friendships sometimes god brings people like this in our lives like scaffolding they come into your life to fulfill a purpose but when the purpose is completed the scaffolding is removed but don't be upset with that because the building still stands this is john mark for paul well it's it seems that way at first and then you see in second timothy paul after that sharp disagreement several decades later says could you send mark to me because he could be very beneficial but that other group the confidants these are the people in your life that love you unconditionally we have very few of them in life they're into you they're committed to you whether you are up or down right or wrong they're into you they're in it for the long haul they're the loyal friend You get in trouble, they'll get in trouble with you. They'll come and see you in jail. You can open up and share anything with them without them coming back around and bringing it against you. They are committed to you and to God's work through you. You know them because they're willing to say hard things to you. See, colleagues and comrades most of them just kind of fade away but you know the real confidants in your life because they're the ones that's going to speak hard truth to you and they speak it with love and grace and for most of us that never goes very well does it nobody shows up at a small group meeting and said man i hope someone brings me a challenging word today hope someone hears from the lord on my behalf Hope someone's able to see through my blind spots and call me out on it. That would be amazing. But friends, can I tell you how much this kind of friend is really needed in your life? 
if we don't have people who are honest with us, we're not going to go very far in life. Not in the mission of God, not with an enemy like Satan, who knows what our blind spots are and intentionally wants to sabotage the mission through the blind spots. You know, that's the greatest war tactic is to attack them on their weakness. And this is what the enemy does. And if you don't have some wise men and wise women at your wisdom table that are able to know the heart of God and to know your heart and to speak up when things are a little out of line, when you start worshiping an idol without even really knowing that's happening, when you've got secret sin in your life that's coming out and just how abrasive your language becomes, if you don't have people like that in your life, then Satan will use that blind spot to sabotage the mission. So many of my friends, pastors that I started with, went to seminary with, many of them, even we planted churches at the same time, are now out of ministry. Some of their marriages broken. Some of them ostracized from their very own kids because of this one thing right here. They didn't have people sitting at their table who could speak real truth to them. This is Paul and Timothy's relationship. Confidants. Without those people, I don't think you're ever going to be able to be who God called you to be. I did a deep dive this week on the beach reading uh, a couple biographies of missionaries and I, I, won't, I won't bore you with all the details, but it's amazing that every one of these phenomenal missionaries that we know, Adonai Judson, William Carey specifically, had these three or four or five men and women back home who were their confidants, who would go without so that they could have, who would gladly be awoken by the Spirit in the middle of the night to pray for a brother who's six hours ahead of you, who's in the middle of a fight for his faith. Story after story, of they would write letters to each other. It's amazing how God brings these people alongside you to be your friend, to be for you. That's certainly what Timothy was for Paul. And Paul to Timothy is an example of what it means to love loyally. Then next, the next uh, guy we meet is Epaphroditus. A gospel friend serves sacrificially. This is amazing to Paul to say this of him. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. This is in verse 25. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So what are, you kind of get the picture of what kind of description of this guy is. He's my brother. Speaks of this relational this relationship that they enjoyed together. They didn't just work together. They weren't just colleagues. They didn't just pursue a vision together. No, they were friends. Epaphroditus was a, a good hang for Paul. They would eat wings and watch the game together if that was a thing, that kind of thing. He was a confidant in his life. He was his brother. Then he also says, and co-worker. This speaks of a job that needs to be done that... Epaphroditus is pulling his weight and then some. He was so faithful for sure. Sometimes jobs just need to get done. Do you know that? And nobody really wants to do them. There's no one I've ever met that has the spiritual gift of stacking chairs. But every week, chairs need to be stacked. 
I don't know if you've seen some of our uh, cargo guys wearing the shirt with a little uh, emblem of them, uh, a guy stacking chairs. I love that. Spiritual gifts of stacking chairs. If you don't at least have some level of that, you're not going to be around here a long time because we stack a lot of chairs. I mean a lot of chairs. Who Epaphroditus was, he was a co-worker. Paul, what needs to be done? Let me do that. You know, we live in an interesting age that everybody feels, you know, we're all into our Enneagram numbers and our strength finders and exactly, you know, what looking for the perfect job that I just wake up and love to go to. I think I have the perfect job. And five days a week, I don't wake up, just want to go to it, right? I'd rather wish it was a Saturday and I could watch College Game Day all day and eat mozzarella sticks or something. But sometimes you just got to go do the things. And this is, this, is, this is who Epaphroditus is. He's his worker. And you know what his main spiritual gift is? Did we see, you know what his main job is? We don't know a spiritual gift, but his main job is just almost dying while carrying a message from the Philippians to Paul and then Paul in prison in Rome and then from Paul back to the Philippians and he does this a couple times. Some things just need to be done. He's his co-worker. He's also a soldier. I, I love how Paul says this, this language. My brother, fellow worker, co-worker, and a fellow soldier. You ever wonder why Paul uses those, that imagery? Because he means it. He could have said, this is my fellow couch potato, but he didn't. He says, my fellow soldier, which speaks, and Paul likes to use this language, and rightfully so if you read through Paul's letters, Paul had a go of it. I mean, shipwrecked and, uh, you know, at sea for days at a time. Just read his interaction on Malta. It's amazing how he gets uh, bit by the snake and then throws it off, and these people trying to kill him at first and then they think he's a god and it's just this this whole thing paul paul had a go of it and he understood that the friends and i want, I want us to understand this as covenant church I, I know you just rolled in here on like a <laughs> on a fall break sunday thinking man let me just hear a good little words gonna encourage me this is a battle that's why paul says at the end of it i have fought the good fight the christian walk the christian life is a battle I mean, it's a cosmic battle with all the enemies of darkness mounted up against Jesus and his angels and all of those that are fighting for the kingdom of God. And it is a real battle. And we're the ones in the middle. He calls him a soldier because there's a battle to be fought. This is what I think both Demas and John Mark didn't understand. Friendship is one thing, but Christian friendship on mission, pushing back the kingdom of darkness is a whole nother thing entirely. We don't have a laissez-faire attitude about this. If we do, it will never go anywhere. Being committed to seeing Christ formed in a person and their spiritual gifts working through a person is is a next level of warfare for sure. Notice also that Epaphroditus, he's a soldier. He was no fair weather friend. This guy has some grit, some endurance. The text tell us twice that he almost died bringing this message. 
This isn't the only place that Paul uses this illustration of a soldier. <clears throat> if you have time, doesn't matter if you have time or not, flip over to 2 Timothy 2. I, I, I will be quick with this. I, I love this. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, Paul's, remember, this is the letter that's written to Timothy when he's so discouraged. And he's going to break it down in a few principles, and we've preached about this before a couple years ago, about the athlete and the teacher and the farmer. But he also uses this illustration of a soldier. He says in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in, this, in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Really two principles here. One is given we've already talked about it, expect some opposition. Sometimes we find ourselves in a pity party that leads to ongoing discouragement because we have unrealistic expectations. Friends, as you walk out of here today, as you sit in your seat today, expect some opposition. It's coming at your mind and your heart. And as we move to, we're firmly in a post-Christian society, but as we move to where the culture that we live in is more antagonistic than ever about the good news of Jesus, you're going to feel that opposition through every media stream that's coming at you. Trying to silence the good news of Jesus and make fun or dismiss those that actually follow him. So expect oppositions. I think some of us have this faulty notion that if we can just work really hard for a season and give enough and be kind enough that after a while things are just going to get easy. And friends, that's just not going to happen. I've convinced myself sometimes that if I, eventually I'll reach some kind of plateau where most of life will just be easy. It'll be walk on the beach. that isn't true even Jesus in that sincere moment with his disciples in John 16 he says I've said these things to you that you may have peace supernatural peace because in this world you will have tribulation but take heart friends I have overcome the world the cross now glory later Die to yourself now. Live for eternity with Jesus with no pain or tear or tribulation. But he was convinced and he wanted them to be convinced that tribulation would happen. So if you have a bad day tomorrow, don't be mad at me that I told you life was going to be easy all the time. In this life, you're going to face tribulation diseases and car wrecks and mean neighbors and lost friends will have tribulation. But notice the other thing that Paul tells Timothy in this verse real quick. He says to share in suffering as a good soldier. The NIV says join with me in suffering in other words, Timothy, if we're not careful, we'll have all eyes on us and we'll think everything bad happens to us. Ever happened to you? Why is my life always this hard? Why does my hot water heater and my dryer and my car break on the same weekend? 
Why is everything, what, what, <clears throat> one more bad report after another report after another report, and we start looking at ourselves, and we think, man, my life is just terrible. And I love how Paul says, hey, Timothy, there's no plateau of ease on this side of heaven, buddy. Join with me, share with me as we suffer for Christ. Here's the principle, friends, that we've got to focus on the mission. The word Paul uses here is entangled. Don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. The word entangled there used of a sheep that gets his wool hung on thorns and it can't move anymore. The civilian pursuits are just the everyday thing of life. You know, meals cooked and kids to school, bills paid. These aren't bad things. These are necessary things. Paul's not telling Timothy to be an irresponsible person. He's warning him not to think about all those civilian pursuits, all those things as the reason that you're here, that there's a greater reason. How many of us spend all of our life and energy on the civilian pursuits, on the things that are necessary but not ultimate is what often trips the church up. You know, I, I read a news article today about how, how the Spirit of God is moving in Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan right now at a level that is, that is in the book of Acts. These Muslims, 600,000 Muslims seeing this vision of Jesus in their dreams. And people tell me, well, I don't think God speaks their dreams anymore. There are 600,000 Muslims who have come to faith in Christ because he showed up and spoke to them. And they went to find a Christian so that it could be explained to them. It's amazing. The work of God that is happening around the world because people are desperate for it, because they've chosen to understand their spiritual neediness, that they're not chasing this American dream of this comfortable life for the rest of their life. Instead, they're putting themselves in the position of saying, God, speak to me and use me. And God is using them. And the church is exploding with growth in communist countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. And then you come over to America and you've got everything that you could possibly want. I mean, look at the resources and the Bibles. I've got two, two Bibles with me today. Ashley found my wedding Bible that I use as a little thinner wedding Bible. And she's, oh, you forgot your Bible. Oh, no, that's my wedding Bible. I've got a wedding Bible and a study Bible and an archaeology Bible. We've got all the resources we could possibly want. Yet most Christians have no fire in them. They're not, they're not pursuing the face of Christ. They're not asking Christ to use them as a missionary at their workplace every day. God, you're sending me into this group of people who are so lost. Would you do the miraculous thing and convert them from people with hearts of stones to people with hearts of flesh? Friends, that's why we're there. That's why we teach. It's why we are a plumber or an architect or whatever that we do. God is sending us there, carrying the gospel with us. That's why we're here. It's what Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, don't get too entangled in civilian affairs. Yet do the things and pay the bills and do the job and do the job. Do it great. But at the end of the day, remember there's a greater purpose in your life. Focus on the mission. So maybe your house isn't as clean as you'd like it to be because you spent that hour that you had on your knees praying for your lost neighbors. And maybe your kids don't get a hot breakfast every morning because you, you were spending time in the presence of God. I mean, give them breakfast, but a granola bar will work, okay? They don't have to have hot breakfast. 
Maybe you don't catch up on social media as you want. You don't get the perfect picture on your Instagram because your prayer walk in your neighborhood. Maybe you lose some sleep to get with some brothers or sisters to cry out for the presence of God to invade Bozier City. Friends, focus on the mission. But Paul tells Epaphroditus, he's my fellow soldier. He is joining with me in the mission. He knew his mission. Paul mentioned him risking his life to play part of the mission in verse 29. So then, he's telling the Philippian church, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Honor the other soldiers like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you could not give me. I was thinking as a church, even as my own life, who do we honor like that? You know, growing up, my dad loved missionaries. I've told you about this before. In our guest bathroom, we had missionary towels that you couldn't touch. They were missionary. They were peach colored and they had some little something sewed on them. <clears throat> you couldn't use those towels. If you use those towels, you're going to face the wrath of dad. Those were missionary towels. I remember how my parents would sacrifice to honor those men and women who were serving on the, I mean, on the very front lines of the spiritual battlefield overseas and they wanted to honor them. Who do we as a church honor like that? Are, are we living such a life as a fellow soldier that we're worth that honor? What, what are we willing to sacrifice for the mission? Genuinely. An hour or two on a Sunday morning? A couple minutes a day to check in with the Father? You know, we, we went through this... Uh, above and beyond initiative and we asked this question that we put out on the table and we just kept asking it Lord what do you want me to do and then I I encourage you just to just to lay the question on the table Lord what would you have me do not 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 even with money just just what would you have me do and then whatever he asked you to do that you would risk obeying him and God did some incredible things in our church kids adopted I mean, the amount of money sacrificed and given, people coming to faith. I think we saw some of the fruit of that even last week as Jason and dads were able to baptize six, seven people. It's amazing. But friends, we cannot ever stop asking that question. That is the question that we wake up every morning and we check in with the father and he reminds us that we're a beloved son or daughter and that his favor is on us and his power is in us and, and, and we're brought in and, and he meets our needs. And then he propels us out to go meet needs of other people. That's the mission. We, we even changed our little questionnaire on, on the worship response guide. Every week, this is one of the things we ask you. What is my next step of obedience? What is God putting on my heart? James says, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says. 
And the Holy Spirit is so gracious because he just slowly brings conviction. And in my life, it's just one thing at a time. If he let me know everything that was wrong with my life, everything I need to repent of, everything he was going to ask me to do, it would crush me. But just one at a time, he just gives me a, a step after step after step. I remember surrendering to the ministry in high school as a senior in high school. And I remember wanting to know, okay, I was talking to my dad, dad. What's life going to be like? Where, where are we going to go? What, is, what, what does God have for me? And he said, oh, son, God doesn't, God doesn't work like that. God doesn't use a headlight. He uses a spotlight. And he normally just shows you enough to know your next step. Follow me. Next step. This is Epaphroditus. A fellow soldier focused on mission friends to live sacrificially you have to have that soldier mindset expecting opposition dress for battle focused on the mission and you have to have it in friendship this is why i think it matters here so much paul needed epaphroditus and the philippians needed epaphroditus and he was willing to be god's man third thing here let me finish up that we would share generously <clears throat> really talking about the Philippian church how they sacrifice greatly to meet Paul's need but we see that idea of generosity all through the New Testament we see it certainly in the book of Acts in chapter 4 when the, when the church was gathered together as a matter of fact, one of the evidences that someone has met Jesus and received the Holy Spirit is they, they have a transition in their view of their resources, of their possessions, that they are now stewards of everything that God has entrusted to them. In verse 31 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they gave generously this cause and effect. The Holy Spirit empowered them to be generous. In addition, we read in verse 33, they had great power. When Luke uses idea of language, it almost always referred to the Holy Spirit. You and I are not inclined naturally to be generous people. Generosity is not natural. I remember early in high school, I, we were at the mall. <clears throat> I've shared this story too before. And we were checking out at the Bon Marche Mall in Baton Rouge, and someone dropped a $100 bill right in front of me. I just saw it, a $100 bill. I had never held a $100 bill in, in my life, ever. And uh, I didn't see who dropped it, and I asked the guy who worked there. I was like, hey, I just found a $100 bill. Should I, should I go take it to someone? And he's like, no, don't take it to someone. They'll just say it's theirs. That's not how this works. Um, you can just have it. $100. It wasn't a crisp $100 bill. It had been folded up, but it was still $100. And I remember we got what we needed. We went to the van, and my dad said, Luke, since you got that $100, you can buy Long John Silvers for the family. Long John Silvers, yeah, fish and chicken pack. $1.99 is what it cost. Came with two hush puppies and a little extra crispies in there. You know you love those crispies, right? Dating myself. Ashley didn't know all these things when she married me. She knew I was a Long John Silver fan. <clears throat> And I responded to my dad, no way, Dad. No, I'm not going to spend $15 on our family. This is my $100. Because none of us are naturally generous people. 
we naturally want to use it for ourselves and spend it on ourselves. It makes no sense that some of you are sacrificing so greatly so that we can build a facility and have deeper roots in the Bossier area that's going to be a platform of rescue. It makes no sense. Some of you are foregoing vacations. Some of you told me you're foregoing buying new vehicles. Some of you have actually sold vehicles to be able to fund this thing. That makes no sense apart from the Holy Spirit of God at work in your heart. The Holy Spirit is who makes us a generous people. This is what Paul says in chapter 4. He's talking about the Philippians and their generosity. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but I desire more be credited to your account. If I could emotionally translate this passage for you, Paul says, if you read the whole passage, I'm not asking for your money. I've, I don't need your money. I've learned to be content. Thank you so much for the money. These people were loyal. These people were sacrificial. These people were generous to Paul. Not just when Paul was in a Roman prison. They just followed him around wherever he was. He was always getting in trouble. He was always in prison somewhere. That's why he says, when I left Macedonia, that's right out. You were baby Christians when I left Macedonia. And you're funding the mission. And you're the only one of all the churches I planted that were so committed to be generous to me. This was not a wealthy church. This would have required so much sacrifice for them to put in our terms it would be like me asking you, hey, friends, we're going to go without a facility for another 10 years so that we can meet some needs of some people in our church and some needs of our missionaries overseas. So we want you to keep giving, but we're just going to take that and we're going to invest it to those people. And as a matter of fact, let me just add a second ask to that. I'm going to ask for no one in here to go on vacation next year. And I want you to take the money that you would have spent on vacation and I want you to invest it into this mission fund that we can support these missionaries around the world. That would require great sacrifice. I'm not asking you to do that. That's not a prophetic word. I just came back from vacation. It was glorious. I want you to see the pain the Philippian church had to endure to support Paul. And this is what Paul's saying. That what he wanted most is for what they gave him to be. What I desire is that more be credited to your account, your heavenly account. Lord Jesus, you know the sacrifice they made to enable me to do this and to write these scriptures and just to meet my needs. Would, would you credit to them into their account more than whatever the ratio is? Would, would you double it? They were a radically generous church. This is what the Philippian church did for Paul. Let me invite the band to come on up. Friends, we need gospel friendships. Hang with me just one second. 
I use the word gospel friendships instead of great friendships because gospel friendships are empowered and imitate Christ. There will never, can you imagine? Has there ever been a more loyal friend in your life than Jesus Christ? Jesus said of himself, greater love hath no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus said that, and then he did that. And he did it with so much grace and sensitivity. I love reading the accounts right after the resurrection with the tender care that Jesus had. He had just been betrayed and beaten and bloodied and died and put in a borrowed tomb, and his his followers were nowhere to be seen. And I love that restoration of Peter, that he didn't come in with guns blazing. You moronic, silly disciples. You know how he greeted Thomas? You remember? Thomas, you need to see the scars. Here they are, bud. Just touch them. It's fine. Just touch them. Or Peter, with a question, recreated the whole scene in the charcoal fire with the fish on there and all these smells and the aroma. It's taking Peter right back to the place where he betrayed Jesus. And he's, oh, I get it. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Has there ever been a greater sacrifice than the one Jesus gave for you? Betrayed and deserted and falsely accused. Scripture even reminds us that Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels to rescue him from the experience of the cross. But it wasn't those nails that held him there. It was his love for you. His sacrifice for you. Has there ever been a more generous gift? Not only did he take away the poisonous sting of sin and death, but he offers us the good life now. The abundant, overflowing life now. Every promise of God finds their yes in him, in Jesus. Peter reminds us that everything we need for life and godliness is found in our walk with Jesus. Ephesians 1 reminds us that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is possible and yours through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the greatest friend. And walking with him should conform us to his likeness as great friends. Loyal, sacrificial, and generous. I hope you're that kind of friend to someone. And I hope someone is that kind of friend to you. When someone like that shows up in your life in a moment of need, it'll feel like your whole world has come back to life. I remember a couple uh, years ago, I got COVID for the first time. When, when we knew everyone was gonna die with COVID and Claire brought it home from camp. Fuego gave it away for free at camp. Uh, two years in a row, actually. Um, praise God. I remember the first time I got, I was like, this is not so bad. And so I just kept like doing work around the house. I mean, I had 10 days at the house. I could do anything. And I remember that third day hit me like a wave and I was having trouble breathing. I was so discouraged. It's what COVID did to you. It's like every day was worse than the day before. You didn't get better forever. I remember it was like day seven. And Dave and Heather Deloach showed up at my house, you know, with a big X marked on the house. Like, don't come in here, we've got COVID. 
And David's like, hey, let's just go sit out on your little patio. I was like, yeah, is that okay? Is that the right? We sat for about 30 minutes. And he was a good friend to me. He just poured his life into me. When a good friend shows up like that in your life, it just brings your life back to life. Friends, can I tell you something? The world is desperate for friends like that. The world is desperate to meet the greatest friend their soul was made for, Jesus. And we earn the right to introduce them to Jesus by the way that we live and by the friends that we are. We're going to take communion here in a second. And we've got a little stations over here. You just pick up the bread and dip it in the cup. And if that's too germy for you, we've got the little, uh, the little self-concealed ones over there. And uh, in the back corner right there, we actually have uh, gluten-free. So if you've uh, recently been diagnosed with celiac disease, in the back, they just say gluten-free on them. But I love this because this is what I want us to think about as we take communion today. I want us to think about what a great friend Jesus is to us. Loyal and sacrificial and generous. Think about that as you walk to the communion table. Now the communion table, is it's open communion at our church. You don't have to be a member here, but you do have to be part of God's family. And we say that every week. And I'm just convinced there's somebody in this room this large that's not part of his family, not really part of his family. Maybe you played religious games for a long time. Maybe you know when to stand and sit and sing the songs. But you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it would be pastoral malpractice not to offer you a chance to do that today. Me and some other people be in the back, prayer team. If you want to just come talk with one of us about making that decision, we'd love to talk you through that. Maybe you got something heavy on your heart. Maybe you've got some friendship wounds that you trusted someone to be a confidant and they weren't that. And they took what you shared with them and they burnt you because of it. Church is full of those examples. My encouragement is even as we pray today, just bring those wounds to Jesus. Maybe your heart is just so tired of being broken. You're withholding love and friendship from people. You won't, you won't ever let them really know you. Just bring those things to Jesus. Let me pray for us. And you move as God has laid on your heart. As I pray aloud, would you just pray silently right where you're at? Would you ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? Maybe it's forgive someone who wronged you. Maybe it's start up a new friendship with someone who doesn't have a friend. Maybe God's calling you to be the good soldier part and you just don't want that. You're okay with the loyal and, and, and you're okay with the generous, but man, the sacrificial service. I pray that God would give you the faith to take that step. Would you just lay your whole heart and soul before him? Say, Jesus, would you heal the parts that are broken and wounded? Would you give me strength and power? to focus on the mission ahead of me. God, thank you for the truth. Thank you for good friends. I've got so many of them in this room. 
Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do what God's laid on your heart. The prayer team will be in the back. Communion stations are open. Four.